Father, I thank you for that glorious truth that we have sung today. You were crucified and you were raised to life and there is none like you that at the name of Jesus very soon, the day is coming very soon when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At that moment, no more excuses. At that moment, no more division. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Father, may we get a taste of that this morning as we sing your praise to our glorious King who is worthy of it all. Father, right now I pray that in recognition of your kingship, in recognition that you are the Lord and we are not, we would humble ourselves under the authority of your word. That we would not sit in pride, but God, we would be willing to be corrected. We would be willing to be refreshed, willing to be rebuked, willing to be trained in righteousness today. Because you are Lord and we are not. You are our King and we are your servants. Father, take whatever's on the throne of our hearts this morning, ourselves or something else, remove it and put yourself in your rightful place. I pray we would humble ourselves and ready ourselves and do well to pay attention to your spirit today. So Lord, please guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say. Unify your church in the mission you have given your church to see your gospel advanced in this city and around the world. In Jesus' mighty name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen, church. You may be seated. Well, Harvest, it is wonderful to be back in the house of the Lord with you this morning. What an exciting start to the ministry year that we have had. And by God's grace and for his glory, Uh, we will continue to see as we press in to know him and love him. Well, last week we introduced uh, the theme for our ministry year, which was foundations, getting back to the heart. And remember, we said the heart is everything to God. We don't want to be a church that's just in the habit of doing stuff, offering sacrifices of praise, thinking we've got this church thing figured out. God looks deeper, he goes to the heart, and we must as well in his power. And so now, with that theme of getting back to the heart, we are now taking the next couple weeks, the short mini-series as we kick off the year, to look at what God's heart is, God's heart is, for the mission of his church. Let me ask you the question, what is the purpose or the mission of the church? If your coworker looked at you tomorrow and said, you go to church, what's the purpose? What would you say? Do you have an answer? You say, you go to church. Well, what's this mission of the church? What's it for? Do you have an answer? Well, before we look at that step, we have to make sure we're on the same page here as to what the church actually is. And if you remember from our series on Acts, the foundations of the church that we went through just before the summer, we looked all throughout scripture and have a biblical definition of what God says his church is. Write this down, it's going to set the tone for the whole year. It is this, quite simply, the church is the people of God living on mission for God. 
the people of God living on mission for God. If we could boil down everything that Jesus Christ says about his church for, in all of the canon of scripture from the beginning to end, it comes down to this. The people of God living on mission for God. Someone says, what's the church? It's not the building. It's not the stage, it's not the lights, it's not the fancy equipment. The church is the people of God, the body of Jesus Christ himself. And so this is why we're going to look at the heart of the mission that God gives his church, which is to, ready, spoiler alert in the title, make disciples. What is the mission of the church God's given? To make disciples. And you say, well, wait a second, what? we hear that term disciple all the time. Like, why is it so important that we kick off the 2018-19 ministry year with this mini-series? Why is it so important to be shoring up the foundations of our mission before we can think of taking a step moving forward? And here's the reason. There's a problem today, loved ones, and you don't have to look very far to find out what it is. We are living in an age where there is massive mission drift happening in the church. Massive, on a large scale, mission drift happening in the church. You say, what do you mean by that? Here, increasing number of churches pursuing the mission of man and not the mission of God. Pursuing the mission of man and not the mission of God. And the result is increasingly fruitless and powerless believers and entire churches in and through whom the glory of God is absent. They may go through emotional experiences and have all the stage and have all the lights and have it. full seats but empty souls. Mission drift happening at an increasing rate. And here's the sobering reality. In case we fall into the deception of thinking it can't happen here, let's bring us back right now. It can happen here. In your heart and in mine. This is why we must guard the good deposit that God has put into our hearts through his word by his Holy Spirit. And so today we are looking at the clearest instruction. You can't start anywhere else. Today we are looking at the clearest instruction of the mission that Jesus Christ has given to his church and that we today have been commanded, not given the option, commanded to uphold, which is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, the word commission there, just so we're on the same page, means this. The Great Instruction. The Great Command. The Great Duty given by God to his people. The great duty given by the king to his servants. This is it. This is the mission. And it's so important that one commentator, is, I was totally blown away by this this week, but I totally agree with it. One commentator said this, the great commission, these five verses we're going to look at today, Matthew 28, is the climax and major focal point, not only of the gospel of Matthew, but of the entire New Testament. The Great Commission is the climax of the entire New Testament. Every letter written, everything the Holy Spirit inspired, and arguably even all of Scripture. Pastor Oswald Smith said, said it this way, any church not involved in the Great Commission has forfeited its right to exist. 
Because this is the only mission that God has given his church. This is it. This is why Jesus Christ came to earth and died and rose again and sent his Holy Spirit for one mission. There is only one mission of the church. This is the mission that is precious to the heart of God and the only one that he promises to bless. This is it. So loved ones, we need to shore up these foundations. This is why our mission statement, you saw it when you came in on the banner, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. In the spirit of the Great Commandment, we're going to look at the Great Commandment next week as part two of this, but we're focused on the Great Commission this week. And here in our text, we see three crucial truths we must embrace. This isn't an option, loved ones. We must embrace if we are to be faithful in fulfilling the mission God has given to this church, to his church, and see his power, presence, and glory in it and through it. You ready? Ready? Comes down to this. Let's do this. To honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 28. And if you do not have a Bible, sorry, thank you, ushers. Thank you. If you do not have a Bible, I'm getting fired up here. All right, put up your hand. We're going to put one in your hand right now. Put up your hand nice and high while everyone's standing now, so even higher. And put it nice and high so we can put a copy of God's word in front of you. Thank you, ushers. Just keeping me on the straight and narrow. Love it. All right, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, to fulfill the mission of the church, where it all begins is this. We must submit to one authority, Jesus Christ. We must submit and recognize one authority, Jesus Christ. The key truth, the say it in a sentence truth for this point is this. Jesus Christ is king and we are his servants, not the other way around. Jesus Christ is king and we are his servants. Look at verses 16 to 18. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, let's get some context. You always, hey, biblical discipleship one-on-one, whenever you read your Bible, you got to read it in context, okay? Context is key. Here's the context. Jesus had been crucified approximately 40 days prior to this event. This is 40 days after Jesus' crucifixion, and he had risen again three days after his crucifixion. Okay, all right? So Jesus has died, he rose again, and he's been appearing to his disciples for the last 40 days. And after being with them for this time, he calls them to meet him at a mountain in Galilee. Now where's Galilee? Remember, Galilee's in northern Israel. Okay, the Sea of Galilee's up north. Galilee is that whole region where Jesus did most of his ministry. And he's here moments before his ascension back into heaven. He's about to leave earth, 
until the day he comes back to, to redeem and establish his kingdom. He's about to leave earth, and he, here he is, the last thing he says, the last thing. If you only had a few moments left with that person who was most important to you, who, what, what would you say? Something flippant? Or something that is like the most important burning thing on your heart? And here he is, moments before his ascension, he's giving his disciples their final and most important instructions for how they were to carry out the mission of seeing his church established. Now, wait a second, you could read that, and if you've been paying attention so far, verse 16, now the 11 disciples, what do you mean 11? I thought there were 12. What happened there? Well, remember, the 12th disciple was Judas, and by now, Judas is dead. He has hung himself. He betrayed Jesus Christ to the Jewish and Roman leaders and ultimately led to his crucifixion. And so Judas is dead and there's 11 of them. But now look at verse 17. It says this, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Wait a second. That word doubted, okay? The Greek word for doubt there means to waver or shift positions. So they're seeing the resurrected Christ And it says, some are doubting. Because don't forget, the last time some of these people saw Jesus, you're going to see in a second here, it wasn't just the 11 disciples on the mountain. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says there were over about 500 people on the mountain with him at this time. Right? And so not all of them had seen Jesus since he was crucified. So the last time they saw their king, he had a crown of thorns on his head and was ripped apart beyond the recognition of a human being. Would you be doubting too? Let's cut them some slack. Okay? So it's the 11 plus around 500 people who are witnessing this event and they're doubting that Jesus was really alive. They're like, well, I see this and he kind of looks like Jesus, but I saw him dead. I saw him crucified. And now you're standing here. I'm starting to waver. I'm starting to doubt and I want to believe, but uh, maybe that's some of you here today. You've heard about this Jesus. You've been coming to this church for a while or at church. You're like, I've heard about this. I heard he's my only chance to be saved. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I'm back and forth. But how do I know it's true? How do I know it's true? And you're doubting, you're doubting, you're doubting. Maybe that's you today. Question, are you open to saying, Lord, take my doubt this morning? Make it clear. He will. He will. Do you want that? It'll change your life. He'll change your life. Is that you today, wavering between positions? And then, and then, the resurrected Jesus makes the most stunning statement that sets the trajectory and is the basis for everything he's about to say. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. (laughs) What a statement. What a statement. And, and you say, well, wait a second. Yeah, okay. Jesus had all authority. Do you understand what the meaning of all authority is? That word authority, the Greek means this. You'll see it on the screen. Unlimited authority. Absolute and supreme sovereignty. Unlimited authority. Absolute and supreme sovereignty. If I could expand that a little bit, 
I would say this, one who has the right and power to act how he chooses. One who has the right and power to act how he chooses every time. In every situation. If I could sum that up even more, I'd say this. Loved ones, be encouraged with this. Jesus has the final say. Always. No one and nothing else. Jesus has the final say. He's the king. All unlimited authority question, who has the final say over your life right now? Who has the final say over that situation you're going through right now? I want my way. I want to do it my way. I want things to happen. Who has the final say? I want to do it when I want to do it. And what? Who has the final say? See, Christ's absolute authority was given to him. As he said, all authority has been given to me. It was given to him by his father. His humility at the cross was over and he was now exalted over all. And this, is, this statement is the basis for everything that Jesus is about to command. Because here's the reality. If this statement isn't true right here, then the Great Commission is absolutely impossible to fulfill. If that statement's not true, that Jesus Christ himself has all authority. That's why he starts out with it. He says, here's what you need to realize. I got this. I've got the final say. Now, just so we get the gravity of that statement, we don't just breeze over it. Let's get a snapshot of what all authority means. Okay? Here it is. This is, this is just a quick six things that came to mind as I looked at our world today. Jesus Christ has been given all authority, number one, over, over creation. Over creation. John 1.3, love what he says. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Love seeing you look up your references to check me, by the way. That's great. Keep it up, loved ones. John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Okay, think about that. Everything that you see around us, every mountain, every ocean, every creature, every solar system, every star, every plant, Every animal, every rock, every person. He created it and has authority over it. The recognition of that frees us to live in awe of our Savior. Hey, loved ones, when's the last time you just looked around you? Just look, even today. Just look around you. When's the last time you looked around and were stunned by Christ's creative authority? Think about it. Turn off the phone. Turn off your TV. And have a look. When's the last time, parents, you were stunned 
at Christ's creative authority when your kids walked in a room. How he shaped them and molded them, crafted them uniquely. Instead of, oh, here comes my source of tiredness again. Think about it. All things were made through him. And this is just one verse. Go to Hebrews 1.3 if you're still not convinced. In fact, read the whole chapter 1 of Hebrews. You'll be even more convinced if you're open to learning. Right? Over all creation, he has authority over everything you see. Look, you know what? You see these hurricanes that are going on right now? Devastating. Devastating. And I look at that and I see these images of these monsters. And I'm just like, you have authority over all of that. The power of those. Pray for those people being affected by that. To the one who has authority to do something about it. How about this? All authority over creation. But here it is. Let's break this down a bit. All authority over every life. Over every life. Yours? Am I everyone in this room? Every, every school child that's going to come in here tomorrow? Everyone you're going to see this afternoon? And billions of people that you're not? Look at this. Job 10.10. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Hey, loved one, does it stun you that you just took that breath because God gave it to you? That's the only way you took it. Because he gave it. Think about the magnitude of this. Nine billion people on the planet, roughly. Sustaining them simultaneously in one moment. Sustaining them, strengthening them, caring for them, providing for them. And here, 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 this is really blowing your head. Intimately knowing down to the hairs on their head all about them, including every single thought before you even say it. That's the authority of Christ over every life. Recognition of this authority means we can live with gratitude. Gratitude. The breath you just breathed. The strength that you just have to lift the weight, to go for the run, to study for the exam. It's all to bring us back to a recognition of the supreme authority of our king awesome awesome over creation all authority over every life all authority and here it is over death all authority over death look at 1 Corinthians 15 55 to 57 oh death here here here's what the authority of Jesus Christ allows us to wake up every morning and say oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ, the one who was sent by God, God himself, God's own son, coming to earth, fully God, fully man, to endure every temptation that you and I will ever face, to face every sin head on that you and I will ever face or have ever faced or are facing right now in our lives. This Jesus, living a perfect life, 
not sinning one time, 33 years, tempted in every way, goes to the cross willingly, pays the penalty for every sin you and I have ever committed, are committing, or will commit, goes into the ground, buried, raises again three days later, victorious over the grave for all time. And if you are here and you have repented of your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your anthem today. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter the struggles or trials that you face, if you are secure in Jesus Christ, you have a living hope and you can say with all confidence, oh death, where's your sting? The greatest penalty of sin itself, death defeated at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Awesome. Why? Because Jesus Christ has all authority. Authority. Defeated the penalty of sin. And get, you know what? I love this. The Christian, the true Christian, not just those claiming the name of Christ and doing their own thing, but the true Christian who's like, I'm all in and I've surrendered my life to him. Here's the reality for them. You and I do not have to fear death ever. Ever. We don't have to fear death. We die here. Guess where we go? We go home to be in the presence of our Savior. You looking forward to that? I am. Oh, death, where's your sting? My king has authority over you. In your face, Satan. You can't tempt me with that and expect me to go into that if I'm really having my eyes on the king. It allows us, recognition of his authority over death allows us to live with boldness for him. Boldness. Awe, gratitude, boldness. Next, what does the authority of Jesus Christ mean? Authority over creation, authority over every life, authority over death, here it is. Authority over every nation. Every nation in this world, Jesus Christ has authority over. You say, how do you know that? Proverbs 21.1, here it is. The king's heart, that means the ruler's heart, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Look at the sovereignty right there. The stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. I need you to make this decision to work my will out. I need you to make this decision to work my will out. I'm working in the heart. And you can look around, look at the news. You turn on the news and you can get so overwhelmed with the chaos of this world, can't we? So easily start to get discouraged and start to get fearful. Jesus is like, I'm turning the hearts of the king. I'm working my way out. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. We don't, and here's what it means on an individual level, loved ones. You, do, you and I, we can rest assured Jesus Christ is not surprised by one event that happens in our lives. It's not like Jesus sitting up there and being like, well, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I don't know what to do. I think you're on your own. Uh-uh. He's turning the heart of the king. He knows. He knows every outcome, every event. And he's working it all out, no matter how chaotic, evil, or dark things may look. He's completely in control in all of it. And you know what this? Recognition of Christ's authority over the nations allows us to live with confidence allows us to live with confidence in him that when we turn on the news, say, man, that is hard and there's people suffering all over. 
And it should break our hearts. We should pray, yes, pray to Christ for them. But he is in control. And it allows us to live with confidence. Authority of Jesus Christ, not over every nation, but check this out, drill it down a bit more. That means all authority over every situation and outcome. Every situation you and I face, every outcome you have and what you will face, every outcome in your marriage, every situation in your studies, every situation in your relationships, every situation in your trials, every situation in your needs, Jesus Christ has authority over. How do you know? There it is, Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning. Look at that. (laughs) Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times and even things not yet done. That means things that haven't happened yet. Jesus Christ is declaring it, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Nothing in your life can derail the purposes of Jesus Christ for your life. He knows the end from the beginning. And as you seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be added. And may I add on this? He's a good father. He's not just sitting there being like, yeah, I've got authority, but I'm just going to let you go through. He's a good father. He will provide what is needed. He will care for. He's near to the brokenhearted. So whatever your situation is today, loved ones, Are we recognizing God's authority over it or trying to do it ourselves? One leads to panic, one leads to peace. Lastly is this, over every nation, over situation and outcome. Lastly, here, Jesus Christ has all authority over the mission of the church. Matthew 16, 18 says this, Jesus says, I will, love that promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This world can try to take out the church, can try to come against the church, can try to do these things, but Jesus Christ has authority. You ever think about this? Jesus Christ has authority over the mission of the church. That allows us to live with confidence. And I love how David Platt says it this way, Christ's mission will succeed because his authority guarantees it. Christ's mission, that's not the quote you see on the screen. Christ's mission will succeed because his authority guarantees it. It's going to succeed. Man, did I ever need to hold on to that when we were planting this church? <laughs> Lord, you said you're going to build your church. You said you're going to build your church. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it will succeed because his authority guarantees and we can live in confidence in that. And this is why, as Platt goes on to say, you'll see on the screen, for the believer, there should be a glad submission to the lordship of Jesus. This means, in relation to the Great Commission, that we must be open to whatever the Lord calls us to, individually and corporately as a church. There should be a glad submission. He's got all authority on that. We don't have to fear in that. This is why we have nothing to fear because our king has all authority and always has the final say. Question as we close this point, whose authority are you submitting to in your life? Whose authority over your health? Whose authority? It really comes down to two things. The authority of yourself or the authority of Jesus? Whose authority are you submitting to? Self or Jesus. Where, and, if you, and if you are a Christian and you say Christ has the authority, uh, where are you fighting for control in your life right now still? For example, in your marriage. Well, I want to do it my way. 
I want my spouse to change the way I want them to change, and we're going to be okay if that happens. Instead of saying, Lord, change me first. Change me first, that you can have your way in and through me. How about this? Fighting for control with your plans. I'm still going to pursue things my own way. I'm still going to pursue things how I want to pursue them, when I want to pursue them, and why I want to pursue them. But Christ, you have all authority. Really? Are you submitting to it? How about this? In your parenting. So yeah, Christ has all authority over, over my family, over my kids, but yet I'm not opening up the word of God to lead them in devotions every day so they can too submit to that authority. Whose authority has it in your family? How about this? In the trial or situation... Yeah, I'm, I'm under Christ's authority, but I'm still going to let anxiety and fear fill me with unbelief that God is actually going to fulfill his promise to me in this situation as I seek him. And instead of casting that anxiety on him because he cares for me, I'm going to hold it and let it drive me to make foolish decisions and panic. Whose authority, loved ones? What do you need to submit to him today? And how about us as a church? How about us as a church in in the preaching and teaching of this church? Who has authority over it? Are we going to follow the pattern of sound teaching God's given? Or are we going to say, we know better and let's commit to culture and be more relevant and water down God's word? How about this in our counseling ministries here? In our small group ministries, what we're going to be learning in just two weeks as they roll out, can't wait, can't wait. Who has authority there? And I just want to say this on behalf of our elder board. As elders, we've you know, a little emotional. We've given our lives to steward the entrustment of this faithfully. To see the authority of Jesus Christ held up in this church. To care for, to protect in the fear of the Lord what he's entrusted to us. And why do we submit to his authority? Why do we give our lives to this? Because Christ is our king. And we are his servants. And know this, no servant is greater than his master. John 13, 36, if you don't believe me. No servant is greater. Submission to the authority of Christ is the first step to living on mission for Christ. And so for some of you, that first step is going to say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior this morning. I repent. I'm submitting to your authority, not mine. To fulfill the mission of the church, we must submit to one authority, Jesus Christ. And based on his authority, here it is, we must commit to one mandate. Based on this authority, we must commit to one mandate, make disciples. The key truth is this, for this section, the end goal is not conversion in Christ, but conformity to Christ. The end goal is not conversion, but it is conformity. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus goes on to say this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, that word therefore, I love this. What that means is, based on what you've just heard, that I said I have all authority now. Based on that truth, 
Go therefore and make disciples. See, after Jesus reminds them that he has all authority on heaven and on earth, he gives them the mission of the church that they are being entrusted with. The same mission we've been entrusted with today, and that is to make disciples of all nations. The gospel is for all nations. Amen? It's not just for some select group of people claiming privilege. The gospel is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like, look at this church. I love this. How many tribes, tongues, and nations are represented in this building right now? Awesome. All under the authority of the same God if we are in him. Now, what is disciple? Go make disciples. What does that mean? Let's get, let's get a definition. The Greek means this. You'll see it on the screen, so we're so clear. One who progressively learns the word of God and is obedient in the lifestyle it requires. One who progressively learns the word. It's not like if you get saved today, it's like I know everything about Jesus right now and I'm completely obedient. No, praise the Lord, he's patient. Amen? We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progression. Okay? Okay? One who progressively learns the word of God and is obedient in the lifestyle it requires. Follows progressively both belief and practice. Okay, okay, stop. Now think about this. Think about what Jesus put yourself in the disciples' shoes right here at this moment. Okay? All authority in heaven's been given on earth to me, guys. So based on that, go. Go and make disciples of everybody. If I'm a disciple in this moment, Are you a little daunted? Are you a little intimidated? He's like, I'm going to leave, but go and make disciples of all nations. Hey, loved ones, don't forget, Pentecost hasn't happened yet. There's no power of the Holy Spirit. These were uneducated, common men. They didn't speak all these different languages. There were no, it's like, okay, here's your church plant starter kit that's going to go and you just go start planting. They didn't have any of that. He's like, Just go make disciples of all nations, guys. Because I got this. Just go. How daunted do you think you're feeling right now? You've just been given a humanly impossible command to make disciples all over the world. No airplanes, guys. I don't even think they had cars. Like, think about this. Go, Go all over the world. Are you feeling just a little bit daunted right now? You will need, and and think about this, not only the tangible stuff like that, but you know what this means? If he says, go therefore, he didn't say, stay therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What does that word go mean? It means you're going to need to leave your comfort zone, loved ones. You're going to need to leave your comfort zone. You're possibly going to need to leave your home. You're possibly going to need to leave your friends. And Christ has not given you any resources at this moment, if you're a disciple, to do that with. He's not stay and make disciples. He said go. Sacrifice. Would you do it? Are you doing it? David Platt goes on to say this. This is not, hey, hey, love, we have to understand this about the Great Commission. This is not a comfortable call inviting most Christians to come, be baptized, and sit in one location. It's a costly command directing every Christian to go, baptize, and make disciples of all nations. Do you see the Great Commission as a costly command or a comfortable one? 
How is that displayed in your life? See, God's mission, God's mission for his church is to make passionate, on-fire disciples of Jesus Christ that will seek his glory above all else in their lives and will in turn make disciples themselves. And this isn't just, hey, loved ones, we have to get something clear. God's glory is very rarely seen in your and I comfort zone. Well, God, if you just set things up properly, then I'll be able to go make commitment. As long as I'm comfortable and then I can go fulfill the great commitment. The call to follow Christ is a call to die to self. And that means going. That means saying, God, this isn't the way I would have planned it, but I'm all in for you, so I'm all in with this. And this isn't just for, oh, you say, you can look at, you can look at me right now and say, well, that's really easy for you. You're a, you know, you church planet and you're, and you're outgoing and, and all this stuff and it makes it, hey, you say, but I'm, I'm intimidated. I'm, I'm shy. I'm, I'm an introvert. I can't, I can't press into what God, I, I, I. loved ones, Moses said the same thing. And then God respond, responded in love and said, who made your mouth? So let's just call that what it is. The excuses of introversion, the excuses of shyness. I get that God wires people differently, I really do. But when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission, you know what those excuses tantamount to? Fear. Let's just call it what it is. And then 2 Timothy 1.7 can speak to us where he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power. He gave you a spirit of love and he gave you a spirit of self-control. Do you know what the other word for fear is that some translations use there? Timidity. God did not give you a spirit to be timid. A spirit of power. Let's call it what it is. And then we can start to deal with it. And not make excuses. And according, see, because here's the reality, loved ones. According to Jesus, from beginning to end, being a disciple is making disciples. To be a disciple is to make disciples. It's not an option to say, well, the pastor can do it, or the elders can do it, or someone who's more gifted at it can do it. To be a disciple is to make disciples. This is a command for each of us. So how does God instruct us to do this? I love this. He gives us three ways. Three ways. So I love this. So now it's so clear. When someone asks you, what does it mean? Your your church is about making disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? Here's three very clear points that Jesus gives us. The points that Jesus gives us. Let's tune in. Get your pens ready. Here we go. In three ways we make disciples. Number one, by proclaiming salvation in Christ alone. Proclaiming salvation in Christ alone. Leave no doubt on this. Verse 19a. Go therefore and make disciples disciples of all nations. The word go there, as I said, implies sacrifice. Shows the Christian life is not just a passive life where one sits back. Rather, they are called to go to the nations to share the good news of the gospel, to preach the gospel here at home and around the world. This is, in this one statement right here, loved ones, this is the foundational evangelistic strategy. Ready? What's God's big strategy for evangelism? It isn't to set up big tents. It's not to like give out hot dogs and things like that. Sure, okay, give a hot dog, whatever. Set up a tent. But here's the foundational strategy for evangelism God's given. Preach the gospel and use words because they're necessary. Go therefore. 
preach the gospel, proclaim salvation in Christ alone. This is where it has to start. One cannot be a disciple if one is not saved. This is where it has to start. And again, it's not just, well, I'm not built that way. That's fear talking. Get rid of it. Give it to the Lord. I love this. You say, well, how do you know that? Romans 10, 14 to 15 and 17. See it on the screen. It says this. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never, what? Heard. Everyone say that with me. Heard. How, how can they do that if, if they've never heard him about him? And how are they to hear without someone? Say it with me. Say it. Preaching. Preaching. Now, preaching doesn't mean in your class, students, you go in with a pulpit one morning and you set it up at the front of your room and say, hey, prof, I got this today. And you start going. Preaching is quite simply saying, this is what Jesus has done with my life. This is how he's changed. You're going to hear people in a baptism tank, Lord willing, next week, preaching the gospel, telling the testimony of what God has done in their lives. How will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And not just sit back, but sent. So faith comes through hearing. Not through osmosis. It comes through hearing. And what? Hearing through the word. You preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. So look around us. Look around. I love Ottawa. I love Ottawa. It's amazing. Do you love Ottawa? I love Ottawa. You're like, man, I'm just here for school. Chill. <laughs> Guess what? This is an awesome city. This is a great city. Only the Lord is awesome. But it's a great city. Look around us, though. The Lord has literally brought the nations to our doorstep. One of the best things I love to do is go downtown and you walk past all those embassies. <laughs> that is amazing. The Lord has literally brought... So many people in this room right now work on Parliament Hill and interact with people from every tribe and tongue and nation every day. That's a blessing. But question is, will you go? Will you go? Will you go and declare? Will you go and proclaim? I'm not even talking about, oh, well, do I have to go across the world? Hey, hey, start with this. Start by going across the street. Here's another one. Start by going across your classroom. Start by going across the cafeteria as the Lord is directing you. Go. Go across the street. Start there. Who has God put right in front of you that he's calling you to proclaim Jesus Christ to? Hey, parents, how about this? Start by going down the hall to your kid's bedroom. Start there. Three ways we must make disciples. Number one, proclaiming salvation in Christ. Number two, baptizing for identification with Christ. Baptizing for identification with Christ. Look at verse 19 again. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Christ says to baptize. The Greek word for baptize is this, baptizo. Baptizo, which means this, to sink or to submerge, or to immerse. To sink, to submerge, or to immerse them in water as an act of obedience in publicly declaring their faith in me, their union with me, and their inclusion in the body of Christ. 
Now notice the order. God is a God of order. Notice the order this happens in. One must be saved before one is baptized. Baptism does not save you and me. One is to be saved and then publicly declare that faith in identifying with Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection through the waters of baptism. Baptism is not a means of salvation, but it is a means of identification. And this is commanded, not an option for his people. Notice this is, a, this is an imperative, by the way. This is a Greek imperative where Jesus says, go, be baptized, make disciples. And te-. This is an imperative, means not an option. This is commanded by God to be the first step of obedience after one has put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is the first step. They've repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And he, he noticed there, there's no subscript little point one or two that's there. He says, right here, don't wait. Believe and be baptized. Don't wait till you think you know enough of the Bible. Don't wait until you haven't sinned for like six weeks and then you feel worthy. Don't wait until all the fear subsides about what could happen when you publicly identify with Christ in baptism. Don't wait. Believe and be baptized. So clear. It's just so clear. First step of obedience. Because here's the truth. And I want to say, hey, loved ones, love you so much, Harvest. Love you so much. But as a pastor that loves you, I need to say the hard things too. And I'm going to say this. Any person claiming to follow Christ who is not baptized... Believer's baptism, as Jesus has just commanded us for all time, is living in direct disobedience to Christ. To neglect baptism is to dishonor and disobey Christ, period. I say that in love for you. Because I'm going to give an account for your life one day. That shudders me every day. Just ask my wife. You're living in disobedience to Christ, period. So question, have you taken the step of obedience to Christ in baptism? Or are you letting fear of what, what will that mean if, if I publicly identify my faith, I'm going to be ostracized, or maybe the enemy's going to attack me more. Are you letting that keeping you from being obedient? Or this, or this? Are we letting tradition? Well, I grew up in a church because not every church practices the baptism Jesus is talking about here. The only baptism that he's given. Maybe some of you have grown up in a church where they baptized you as an infant and they said this is salvation. That's not in the Bible. Christ is laying it out right here. And maybe some of you in a different tradition. But are you holding on to tradition instead of holding on to Christ? That's the question that it comes down to, loved ones. All the time. And you can make excuses and you can try to find loopholes and different out of context passages and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, this is the clarity Jesus gives with it. Believe and be baptized. Baptizo. Or maybe some of us are here and you're just like flippancy with God's word. You're just like, I don't need to get baptized. Don't need it for salvation. Why do I want to do that? Why would I want to get dunked in the tank? Is it flippancy with God's word? Where's the trembling at the word of the Lord? Right here. Put it up, boys. 
Here it is. Next picture. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. You're already going to see a few brothers and sisters here. And I pray you could sign up at the Connect desk at the back. And I will have a whole service full of baptisms. I say, I'm all in to follow Jesus. And I'm not turning back. God said it. I do it. Lastly is this. Three ways we must make disciples. Proclaiming salvation in Christ. Baptizing for identification with Christ. And lastly, teaching for ongoing obedience to Christ. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. See, observe means this. To keep guard or hold fast or to obey the word of God in their lives, and increasingly conform more to his image as they obey him by his power in them. This is not just, hey, loved ones, we talked about proclaiming before. This is not just preaching right here. This is not just preaching. It is God's word being used in our everyday conversations to teach, to train, to exhort, to instruct others as we live it out in his power. It is not us. He says, teaching to observe all I've commanded you. It is not us getting to pick and choose what parts of God's word we want to teach. It's not us picking and choosing what parts of God's word we want to obey. He's our authority. It's the whole counsel of God. And we must realize this, you'll see it on the screen, the mission of the church is never meant to end with conversion. It's like, okay, they're saved, we're good. Uh Oh, no, 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 no. That's only one third of it. Conversion in Christ is not the ultimate goal. Conformity to Christ is. Conformity to his image increasingly in our lives. Our task is not just to teach people to know everything Christ has said, but to obey everything he's commanded by the power of his spirit in us. We have way more knowledge than we do obedience. Would you agree? Discipleship doesn't end there. So question, are you making disciples by teaching God's word to those around you? Hey, spouses, tell him, what are you learning in God's word each day in your God time? Share it with your spouse. Encourage one another. How about this? Parents, what about to your kids? How about here and your brothers and sisters in Christ? This is why I'm so thankful in two weeks. Two weeks, guess what happens? Small groups. Small groups happen in two weeks. You know what happens in a small group? Discipleship. Teaching to observe all that I've commanded you. Instructing, training. You say, but I don't know enough. I don't know about, listen, listen. You are not the one who's determining what God wants to do with you. Is that clear? Is that clear? You and I are not the ones who want to determine that. We are called to make disciples. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Listen, 90% of being faithful. What is it, loved ones? What is it? 90% of being faithful is... Showing up. Have the coffee. Take someone from church. And you listen, but you can't lead them to a place you're not going. You can't lead them in God's word if you're not being renewed and filled in God's word every day. Okay? God Time 101 books. There's a few left at the back. I highly recommend you pick it up to get started. If you're like, where do I start to have a quiet time with the Lord? There it is. Teaching them to observe. What about this? Harvest kids. There's 50 some kids down the hall right now. You want to go after the next generation? Teach them to observe all that God has commanded. This is what a church who's on mission in making disciples does. We don't just sit back and let someone else do it. We're like, I'm in. I'm a disciple. I'm there. Come on, loved ones. Let's do this. Let's do it. The time is short. As a disciple, and on the other end of that, as a disciple, what areas do you need to repent of that you're not walking in obedience today?
Take that before the Lord. Lastly is this. Fulfill the mission of the church. We must submit to one authority, Jesus Christ. Commit to one mandate. Make disciples. And Jesus just doesn't stop by giving us the mandate and telling us to go do it. Rather, he gives us what we need to do it. Ready? Here's why we must believe in one promise, that Christ is with us. Christ is with us. Key truth, the power for the mission flows from Christ's presence in the mission. The power for the mission flows from Christ's presence in the mission. Last part of verse 20, we land the plane with this. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word behold there is a divine highlighter. When you see behold in the Bible, it's like time to pay attention. Divine highlighter. What is about to come next is extremely important. Jesus is emphasizing. And the promise he ends with is this. By declaring that he will be with us to the very end of the age when he returns for his church. No matter how hard this mission gets, in every trial, in every discouragement, in every success, in every opposition, his presence, his peace, his power, his provision, and his faith will be available to fulfill the mission he's entrusted to us as we depend on him for it. We can't do this on our own, loved ones. Hey, how relieved, loved ones, how, do you, how relieved do you think the disciples were right now to hear that? It's like, go and do a humanly impossible task. Hey, loved ones, but I'm with you. I'm all you need. I've got the power. I've got the strength. I've got the wisdom to know that, how, how comforting is this? To know that nothing that we as believers or a church face this year will ever be beyond the power and resources we've been given through salvation in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Let that, loved ones, let that give you confidence to walk by faith and not by sight in all God has planned. Because here's the truth as we call the worship team up here in a moment. Success in this mission is not based on anything we could do or ever hope to be, but it is assured based on who Jesus is and his finished work on the cross as we humble ourselves under his authority, commit to the mandate of making disciples, and believe in the promise that he's with us and will build his church for his glory because Christ is enough. Let's pray. God, Father, that is our mission. That is what you call your church to be and to do. To make disciples of all nations. To recognize your authority. And to believe in your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you will give all that is needed. And it is not based, I'm so thankful for this, it is not based on our own capacities. It's not based on our own experiences or wisdom or ability to do things. It is based entirely on what you've done. And so, Father, I pray that as we sing this last song, that Jesus Christ, you would be enough for us. You would be enough for us to go. You would be enough for us to count the cost, to not stay comfortable. You would be enough for us to take the next step of obedience that you're calling us to. Father, and you would unify our hearts in this mission, and we would be faithful because you are enough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.